You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Just some of what I felt to share with you this afternoon is on the theme of just the authority of Christ. And it's a simple message, but there are three points I want to make, which I just think um, that if they can... I know there's some things that are really foundational to your life. If you can lock them in, you know, when I was first preaching, I remember stopping and just thinking, what are some of the keys that if you had a few moments to explain to somebody what are the real pillars, I think I used that term, what are the pillars of your faith, what are the pillars that would just hold you in good stead. And I remember, you know, four things I wrote down, you know, and I just used to think about them a lot and encourage myself with them. I won't go back to talk about those because otherwise I might get very seriously distracted today. But in the same, I guess in the same vein... I've thought about these three statements as being statements that if you can really grab a hold of them, they're not exclusive, there are many other truths, there are many other things that you you can take hold of. But these three things, if we can grab a hold of these three things, um, so what I'll do is if you fall asleep, I'll just wake wake you up as I tell you each one of the three. And then while I'm talking about them, which is primarily today just going to be for each one of the three, I just want to share two scriptures. And they'll be, to some of you who have been on the journey for a while, they'll be well-known scriptures. But I just think if I paint it like this way, it'll be something that will be helpful to you. Here's three points, a couple of verses just to show it's not just my opinion, but it's what the Word of God is saying. And I think it will be, they'll be helpful pillars, they'll be helpful uh, foundational things in your own journey of faith. Is that, a, is that all right to say that? So I'll begin with a bit of introduction and then I'll get to those three points uh, in, a, in a moment. Um, really the, the key, a key verse for me when I think about um, our authority as believers and we talk about, um, I'm thankful to people who've taught me over the years but we talk about um, every believer priesthood so we talked about being a king and a priest and so that ties in doesn't it to the authority so every believer, a king, every believer uh, having priesthood so that each one of us have just direct access don't we to to the Father. Now again, there's one mediator between God and man. Who is that? The man Christ Jesus. And so, but it's not like every single time, you know, what he's done is he's made the way open by what he's done for us to have intimacy with the Father and to be able to commune with the Father, to talk to him and to listen to him so that he can speak to us individually. And that in itself is a number of messages, isn't it? How he speaks to us because we, you know, there are ways that um, you know, are fairly intense, but there are other ways that are just part of our everyday life. As we walk and journey, we just hear his voice, he speaks to us, you know. And it's not, well, very rarely, if ever, like an audible voice from heaven, but it is sometimes like a, a whisper into our hearts and spirits or into our spirit. But then sometimes it's just through what someone else says. They say something and it just really gels and it rings over in your mind. And you think, that's just God speaking to me. Um, an example of that at the beginning of this year, I guess I'll use this example because it is a bit relevant to us, um, you know, as, as we start off the year as a really a connection of churches. So Church of Kuhlman, you know, yes, it stands on its own in a sense, but we're part of a fellowship of churches, aren't we, in this region, which we love. And so as we've met together with leaders um, together and we've thought about the year, one of the things, just one of the things that's come through, we don't have like a great big banner and this is our theme for the year, we kind of don't tend to go that way, although I'm happy if people do, but we've kind of just thought, what are the things that are weaving through where we're heading this year, you know, uh, undergirding it? And one of the things was from... Uh, from Luke 9.23, where 
where um, Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. He goes on to say, if you gain your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you gain it. Now, what that means, it sounds, hey, that makes no sense at all, particularly the mathematicians that are here. But really what it's talking about is there's this exchange. You know, we've talked about this in the past, I'm sure, but there's this exchange, isn't there, of our limited life for his unlimited life. And so we can hold on to our life and say, well, I'm hanging on to this. I'm managing it. I'm, I'm controlling it. I'm determining my own life and I'm answering my own questions, as it were. You know what I mean? And if we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll make progress. We'll kind of keep going. But really, if we exchange our... Um, our wisdom, if you like, our, um, our own life and the right to rule our own life, if we surrender that and actually say, you know what, I trust you, Father, enough to, to, to just take up what you have for me every day. That's what it means to take up your cross daily. Sometimes we think of it as, well, I've got to take up my cross daily. Okay, what's my burden today? Like, you know, what is it that I've got? But really what it's talking about is Jesus, for him, he came with a specific purpose, and that purpose was to what? Ultimately, take up his cross. Wasn't that right? So he says, well, what you have to do is you have to take up your cross daily. Where for me, he says, the Father's will and purpose was what sustained me every day. He said, I found myself just doing whatever the Father gave me to do, whatever he gave me to say, wherever he took me, that's where I was, he says. Um, he says, my meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me. But what he realized was that ultimately what, what the will of the Father for him was to come and to live and to, um, uh, to represent the Father in many ways with an authority uh, that he'd been given um, and ultimately then the power of the Spirit that he was given at his baptism, wasn't he? So he was given authority and he was given power to do the will of the Father, to do what the Father gave him to do. And so for you and me, it's, well, what's the Father got for you? What is the Father's plan for your life? Well, it's not waking up every morning in some intense way and not moving our feet until we hear you know, an audible voice from heaven. But it is living with this posture. It's living with this posture that says, you know what, every decision that I make today, everywhere I find myself, I just want a sense that I'm just about the Father's work. I'm about his will. You know what I mean? Now, if he's, given you a, if he's given you a job and you've signed a contract with that job, well, you know, you don't wake up two days later. Most likely you don't wake up two days later. I'm not sort of ruling it out. But and say, oh, well, today I don't feel like the Lord wants me to go or whatever. Because, it, well, two days ago it was his will for you. What's happened today? You know what I mean? So it's not like we become irresponsible or we become, you know, like we just drift along in life every day. But what we're doing is we've got this posture that says it really matters to me what the Father's plan is for my life. It really matters to me in my decisions, in my relationships, in, my, um, you know, in the things that become the priority of my life. It really matters to me what the Father wants to do for me, what his plan is for me. So if you want to come after me, Jesus says, then take up your cross daily. And again, like, it's not like Jesus was carrying his cross every day. I, I get the feeling that Jesus was an incredibly... Uh, joyful and just an inspirational person to be around. He wasn't every day just feeling the pressure of carrying the cross, you know. Uh, there was a day when he carried the cross, wasn't there? And that day was really, a, 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 a like I think, was a very sober day for him, for sure. It was a difficult and a sober day. Um, but, but I think on the journey in his mind was that this is where I'm going. But every day he was filled with joy and delight, I believe, to do the will of what the Father was. One of my life scriptures, um, which I often share, is Psalm 40 and verse 8. 
It's just one that I've kind of really taken a hold on. It's one of my life scriptures. And it just says, um, uh, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your word have I hid in my heart. And so it's really built around just the way he communicates to me through his word and through his wisdom. But, but I just delight to do his will. And Jesus, I believe, every day was just delighting to do his will. In Hebrews it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So, you know, yes, it was a difficult thing for Jesus to go to the cross, but there was an aspect within him that was able to be joyful in the midst of that incredible suffering and that incredible uh, challenge of going to the cross because what he did was he saw beyond the cross and he saw, I believe he even saw today. He saw you and me, you know. Um, in some way, he saw you and me. He saw our destiny. He saw what he was providing opportunity for us to do. I'm not always convinced that he knew what I would choose every single day, but I believe that he did certainly know what my options were and he's never caught by surprise. He's always made available to me, you know, the option to be able to follow him and so um, uh, as a choice. And so anyway, I guess that's, that's uh, what I was uh, sort of wanting to share in way of, of, of introduction. Um, okay, I'll just jump back to here. Isaiah 61 and verse, the first couple of verses, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, um, to console those who mourn in Zion. Now, um, we could go on and on. There's some beautiful stuff there about... He exchanged beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, um, that we might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Well, I did end up going on and reading that, didn't I? But um, it's a beautiful old song, some of you may remember. But um, it's, um, it's really talking about the transformation, the power of transformation. And Jesus, it's, it's predicting 700 years prior, the book of Isaiah, which the prophet Isaiah spoke about 700 years prior to Jesus actually coming. And he's talking about what Jesus would actually be anointed to do. So if we skip really quickly then over to Luke in chapter 4 and verse 18. So Luke 4 and verse 18. This time, 700 years later approximately, here's Jesus. Um, he's been, you know, um, just doing life uh, Pretty normally, I suppose, in some ways, normally in quotes, but uh, living as a man filled with the Spirit. In Luke uh, 4 and verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Um, verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as his custom, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, do you recognize those words? Do you recognize that they were the words that we read a moment ago in Isaiah 61? Um, which was spoken about what Jesus would be anointed to do. Now, we want to talk about that word anointed for a minute. 
um, because um, it's used in all sorts of contexts. And look, I don't really mind too much how it's used, so I'm not trying to be pedantic or you know, critical of it. But sometimes when the word anointed is spoken of, it's spoken of like as if it's some mysterious force that just flows through the room you know at certain times if we're fortunate you know it'll come and if it doesn't come well then we missed out on something or whatever there's an aspect where you know that does happen but really this word anointed means this it means the authority and the empowerment so the giving of authority and empowerment so if we said if Jesus here says he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me for this purpose and he's giving the purpose um, remember, I, I think I started um, talking a bit of, a moment ago about this year and whatever, uh, Luke 9.23 and, this, you know, um, take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, for Jesus, he was anointed for a particular purpose and he lists that purpose. Um, all those things bring freedom and bring, um, etc. Those those things there um, that we saw in Isaiah 61 and we saw in Luke 4.18. He was anointed. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he was anointed. What he's really saying is, I've been given the authority of the Father. It's the purpose of the Father. It's what the Father sent me for. But also I've been given the empowerment of the Father or the empowerment of the Spirit really is what he's saying. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I've got the authority and the power to fulfill this task which was what the father had intended me to do now what happens is we get to the end of Jesus life um, and Jesus who was remember totally submitted to the father's will understood the thing that he was anointed to do had the authority and the empowerment to do he's now talking he, he died uh, or been killed and he'd been buried and he'd risen again and now what he was doing was talking to the apostles before his ascension to heaven in Matthew 28 again a fairly familiar verse to many of you perhaps not all but to many of you Matthew 28 18 to 20 then Jesus came, excuse me for just moving quickly, but Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, um, uh, in, in Mark 16 as well, it unpacks that a little more, says you can you know, uh, uh, lay hands on the sick, etc. There's other things. But really what's encompassed in this commissioning, we call it the Great Commission. So we've had a commissioning today, haven't we? But this is the Great Commission where Jesus, uh, before he ascended, he said, this is what I'm passing on to you. Now, why did he start off by, well, actually, I'll just say this. He's, he's really passing on authority. He says, all authority has been given to me and he's passed on authority. And he says, lo, I am with you always. Now, that's a bit funny, isn't it? He's about to ascend and he says, lo, I am with you always. Well, what is he really talking about? What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Is that right? Because in John 14, 15, 16, 17, he'd been talking to the disciples and he'd been saying to them, I won't leave you comfortless. And I think it might have even been last time I preached here, I might have actually preached the four or five verses from those uh, five chapters where he just said I won't leave you comfortless this is what I will do you know he said the spirit will come the comforter the helper will come and he will be with you and he will be in you and he actually says in those chapters he says an advantage it's an advantage that I go because when I go the Holy Spirit will come he was actually saying that was an advantage 
And so he said, because he will testify of me. He'll show you things to come. He will bring to remembrance the things that you'll learn. That's some of the things that are contained in those verses. Um, there's some other things as well. And so here he's, he's got them there and he's going to um, commission them. And he says, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, I'll be with you always, talking about the Spirit. So that's the authority and the empowerment, isn't it? That's the authority and the empowerment. Now, I was driving around and around with the other day. And you wouldn't believe it. I went up this street that I don't usually go up. And I drove past a house. And I know the owner of this house is not there. I know the place is empty and, and the owner's not there. And then I see this stranger in the front yard. So for, the, for a moment, it gets my attention. Should that person be there? You know, who's in that front yard? Should that person be there? But it didn't take many seconds, maybe even a fraction of a second, and I saw this really handsome fellow that I knew from Coolerman, who was there in the front yard doing some uh, gardening and whatever else and cutting some grass. Is that right? So um, I hope I'm not telling any stories out of school or anything like that. So is that all right? So, sorry? Yeah, yeah, that handsome part's right. Yeah, okay. Doing work probably wasn't exactly right because you know what? I thought it was a statue for a while when I drove past. No, I didn't really. I'm only joking. But uh, So I walked by and I thought, what's this strange statue? But then, no. Um, so anyway, I saw Ray there. So I went off and did what I had to do quickly and I came back past and he was still there. I thought he would have been finished by then, but he was still there in exactly the same position as when I drove past the first time. So no, sorry, Ray. I do love you, Ray. And I know you love me. But um, so anyway, what, but, but for a moment I'm thinking, has he got a right to be there? Like, should he be there? And then what happens is when I pull up and I have a chat, and he says to me that the owner of the house had sort of come over to they'd gone off and done something else and actually had commissioned him to mow the lawn and cut the edges. Isn't that amazing? So what I knew was, like, if he said to me, um, well, Steve had just brought me into town and Steve had told me to get in and mow the lawn and I would have said, hang on a sec, what right Steve got? Steve's got no authority, so how can he give you authority to do it? But when he said to me the owner of the house's name... I thought, oh, well, if she said you can do it, there's no problem at all because she owns it. She, what am I doing? Am I dobbing someone in or not? So I said, she owns it. So if she owns it, then she's got the authority and so then she can give authority to Ray. Is that right? Now, you've got my point, haven't you? When Jesus stands up and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore. What he's doing is he's establishing his rights to pass authority onto us. Is that right? When I say us, I mean onto his church, of which we're all a part. And so he has commissioned his church to fulfill the thing that he himself had been commissioned to do. What he said the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and had anointed him to do, he's now saying you are, have the authority and the empowerment to do it. Is that right? No good given authority without power, is it? Because otherwise, it's just burdening you with something that maybe you feel a bit obligated to do, but then you're struggling to find the power to do it. And I want to say this to you. If you're asleep, just wake up for a moment and just grab this one thing, and that is that what he has commissioned you to do, what he has given you authority to do, he has also given you power to do. So now... I know there's a verse in Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do anything, all things through Christ who strengthens me. I heard someone sharing about this the other day and they said to me, you know what, that's not true. And sort of, I'm thinking, hang on, you better explain this. But he said, if I want to be a ballerina, this guy said, he was about 60, 
She says, if I want to be a ballerina, well, chances are I probably can't because, you know, I'm not made for it and I'm not whatever. What he, what he was just wanting to do was he was wanting to explain that really we've been given the authority and the empowerment to do whatever he has called us and purposed us to do. Is that right? If I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, I, well, maybe 40 years ago or 50 years ago I could have given it a crack, but chances are, like, you know, I can swim a pretty fast 50 metres, but I don't breathe the whole way. And where I have trouble is the second lap, you know, because when you get out after the first lap, you're giddy. Anyone else find that? You know, so I think I'd have to, you know, something would have to change a lot before I could be an Olympic swimmer. I'd probably have to get bigger feet, longer body, maybe a bit thinner body and whatever, and learn how to breathe underwater somehow. But anyway, so the thing is, when it says I can do all things, it's not saying, well, just whatever you think you're going to do, you just do it. It's talking about um, understanding what it is that you've been commissioned to do and knowing that God has given you the authority and the empowerment to do whatever he's asked you to do. Okay? And so that's a, a good thing. And so that leads me into, um, you know, I've just got here, we've been given, we have been given both authority and power to do what God has given us to do. Go into all the world, etc. And I am with you is giving the authority and the empowerment. The authority is the approval or the commissioning of God to represent him and to use his name. Now, you know how we pray? In the name of Jesus, don't we? Because that's where our authority is to, to ask or to, uh, to declare certain things. And then the power is the ability and the, and the strength by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Now, that is... Um, the apostles, after they, uh, Jesus had commissioned them, he told them, uh, we didn't read this part, but uh, for time's sake we won't, it says, he said, right, I go into all the world, and he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you're empowered on high by the Holy Spirit. And what happened was, uh, seven weeks later, 50 days approximately, that's why Pentecost is 50. Um, we are called a Pentecostal church in the sense that, you know, uh, as a church we believe that what happened to the apostles or the disciples on the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, already disciples, already followers, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, 50 days later because uh, he told them, wait. Here's the commission, but just wait till you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, it, it, um, you know, uh, that, that, that gift is given in, in, in many and diverse ways, but we're able to have his authority and then have the power to be able to fulfill the commission that he's given to us. So I've written here, these three things are true about you and me as followers of Christ filled with his Holy Spirit. So here's the three things and two quick verses. What I'll do is I'll get your help so we can be nice and quick. I'll give you the first point and I'll give two verses. And if someone can look up those verses and read them out to us, it'll save you listening to my voice all the time. Is that all right? So the first point I've got here is that the person of God is in me and you. The person of God. Now, what I, I really like that. We'll talk about the next two things as well, which are a bit related to this. But I just love to think of the person of God in me and you. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, would someone look that up for me? Just give me a quick flick and then I'll know someone's on it. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. If you haven't got a Bible, just sort of, or if you're on Facebook, just be careful. I might be, you know, asking you to read a verse all of a sudden. Okay. Hilsa, you got a 
So 1, can, can you just be ready with that one? 1 Corinthians 3.16 and Galatians 5.22 and 23. Can someone look that up for me? Aaron, you're on to that, are you? Thank you, mate. Galatians 5.22-23. So this is just, the point is, the person of God is in me and you. There'll be lots of verses, but I just want to read two on each point, and then we can have another coffee. Is that all right? You with me? Okay, so the person of God is in me and you. Thank you, Hilary. You know, we don't often think about that, but it's a beautiful thing. Um, there's a few things that, if we think about them, it depends a little bit about, it depends a little bit upon how we, how we see God that determines whether it's a positive or a negative experience for us. Let me give an example. If I were to say um, to you that God knows everything about you, you know, Ray, Oh, no, I've already picked on Ray, haven't I? Well, I'll pick on Ray again. Ray, God knows every single thing about you. Now, that will either be encouraging or threatening, depending on how Ray sees God. Is that right? So if he sees God as someone who is at a distance watching you to catch you doing something wrong, maybe with a view to punishing you or disqualifying you from some blessing or whatever, then you will, you will be a little bit worried, maybe even threatened by the thought that God sees and knows everything about you. If I said he knows how many hairs are on your head, anybody else here knows more about yourself than God does because he knows how many hairs are on your head? Silly verse, but that's an important one, isn't it, to show us how much he knows. If I say, uh, when we're in the worship there, it's interesting, I was thinking about this thought, and uh, we're in the worship, and um, I just forget at what point, it might have been something Aaron said or just something we were singing in the song, but it was really talking about um, all the things that are... Um, that are, that are uh, wonderful about God. And, you know, again, depending on how you see God, it's interesting, isn't it? If we're talking about God's power and God's holiness, that's right, we were singing about God's holiness, and we just sang it a little bit. God's holy, God is holy. And I thought, you know, that is a beautiful thought. I love singing that. But if I kind of have this feeling that I have to try harder to live up to what God is like, then the more that I elevate what God is like, how holy he is and how faithful he is, the more I feel short of what he is. Now that's okay if, as long as it doesn't stop there because if I realize that he actually has saved me, forgiven me, but also that he lives inside of me, then the more that I am talking about who he is, how powerful he is, how holy he is, how wonderful he is, you know, then what I'm doing is I'm encouraging myself in a sense because greater is he within you than he that is in the world. Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and his spirit dwells in you. Christ himself through, the, through his Holy Spirit, when he promised to be with you always, what he was thinking was the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Holy Spirit, if you allow him to, will come in and fill you. And what will happen is the very nature of Christ will be resident inside of you. The very seed, when we're born again, the very seed of who God is, who Christ is, was actually planted into the garden of your heart. And so what's happening is we're learning more and more to understand what is actually inside of us. We're not trying to become him. We're trying to understand more and more what of him is inside of me so I can live true to my real nature, the person that I really am. 
And that makes sense of 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you look in the mirror and you say, hang on a sec, I just look exactly the same, you know, before I was born again and after. In fact, I would say some people actually do look different physically because so much burden is lifted from their life. But generally, it's the same person and the same features. But what happens is the transformation takes place inside of us where he puts the seed of his very self it's hard to grasp this, but he puts the seed of, him very, of his very self inside of us. And what's happening is his very nature, when I sing about how holy he is and how wonderful he is and how powerful he is, what I'm able to do if I recognize and know that he's inside of me is that I'm encouraging myself that, that, that all that he is is actually inside of me. Because I'm not trying to... Um, in a sense anymore, live up to that standard. That's Old Testament where they could not do it. None of us could do it. None of us could live to God's perfection. And so what happened was he had to provide an answer. He wasn't caught by surprise. He just had an answer, and that was to bring Jesus as a saviour, to live as a sinless person so that when he died for us, he could actually take upon us the wrath of God on sin. I was sharing this morning in Narendra, a totally different message, but I was sharing about a word that, that's used in the New Testament that describes Jesus as the one who became the propitiation for our sin. And what that word propitiation actually means is he bore the wrath of the Father for you. So we don't need to be judged for our sin anymore because what's happened is if we receive Jesus, then what happens is we are accepting what he has done for us. And one of the things that he did for us was he bore the wrath of the Father. God is just. He couldn't just say, oh, forget the sin. It's only small stuff they did. It doesn't matter. He is so just. He is so holy. He is so right that he could not look, you know, overlook sin. So what he did was he poured out on Jesus his wrath upon sin. Once and for all, the Bible tells us. And so he dealt with that. So you and I, we're no longer, you know, I said this morning, we're no longer like sitting outside the principal's office waiting for our punishment to come. You know, anyone identify with that or just me and Aaron? Just me and Aaron. Just me and, oh no, just me and Lachlan. I think Lachlan, I reckon you might have sat outside the principal's office once or twice. Do you want to confess up or not? Or do you want to just stay quiet? Stay quiet, okay. So anyway, the thing is, um, we're, not, we're not, I mean, it's wonderful. That's our hope, isn't it? We're not living with this anticipation of, have I done good enough? Am I good enough? Have I done well? But actually we're living in this wonderful feel or sense of, or reality, not sense, a reality of that he actually bore the wrath of God for sin upon us. It's been poured out. Now we can ignore that and we say, no, I can handle it myself. If you want to, I'll keep on living my own life. I don't care what Jesus did. And I, and I don't judge people for that. I feel compassion for people because why would you do that when you can receive Jesus and what he's done? And then he went to the cross for you and me and bore the wrath of God upon himself. It's a beautiful picture. So anyway, that was... Um, one scripture, and I wasn't going to preach for very long on each scripture, but Galatians 5, to 23 just tells us the Spirit's in us and the fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Okay, so they're the things that enable us to, again, why does it say against these things is no law because those things, they reflect the very nature and the person of Jesus, don't they? And so what's the fruit? What's the fruit? You know, again, sorry if this is a bit simple, but I just want to say this. If you've got a fruit tree, a peach tree, you can't form the peaches. 
Nobody could ever, we can't create pizzas. Our world is pretty clever, aren't they? Our, our scientists, they're amazing. I, I acknowledge that they're amazing. I laugh when they think that they've got it all together without God. I laugh to myself how much he must laugh. But I, I do respect and honour scientists and what they can discover and what they can do that's helpful you know, in the medical field and other fields is just wonderful and I acknowledge them for it. But I tell you, none of them could form a peach. None of them can make a peach. They try to make human bodies. They think they can make human bodies, you know, themselves. But, I mean, all they're really doing is tapping in on cells that God has already amazingly produced and they're trying to tamper with that and become God themselves. And I laugh at that, not in a... It's not funny, but you know what I mean? Like, I think, how can anyone think they're anything like God? You can't make a peach. But what you can do is you can plant a peach tree that actually came from a seed anyway or whatever, or from a seedling or something, but it obviously somewhere along it came from a seed, and that peach tree grows, and you can create the environment where it will produce the fruit, but you can't produce fruit. Fruit comes because something is planted and the environment is right. And the fruit of the Spirit is that when your heart opened up to Jesus and he planted the seed of his spirit within you, the seed of himself, his very own nature inside of you, what he did was he put himself inside. And I'm no longer living from the outside in, I'm living from the inside out because what I'm doing is I'm looking to create an environment where the spirit inside of me, where the nature of God inside of me can actually live out its fullness. I'm learning to realise what I have inside of me and then giving place to what I have inside of me. I'm not trying to become anyone, if you know what I'm saying. And so the person of God is in me and you. Those two beautiful scriptures, and there's many, many more that we could have used, but those two beautiful scriptures bring that out, where the temple of the Holy, the temple of God and the Spirit lives in us, and the fruit of the Spirit, the very the natural thing that comes into our being, into our life, into our behaviour, into our thoughts, because the Spirit himself lives inside of us. The second one is the presence of God is in me. Now again, it's related, isn't it? But the person of God is in me. And what that does is that then means that the, the presence of God. If I just talk about the presence of God, well, that's a good thing. We often do. But I love to think about the person of God inside of me. And therefore, the presence of God is inside of me and you. Hebrews 13.5. Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Beautiful. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we already read it too, didn't we, in Matthew 28 when he said, you know, I am, and lo, I am with you always. In other words, he's saying, know this. I'm with you. I've sent you out. Know this. I'm with you always. Psalm 46 1. Hills. Is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Can't tell you how many times I've spoken to myself about that verse. Lord, you are not just a help, you're a very present help. Anyone else just been blessed by that verse? Just he's a very present help. It's just a strong sense of, I'm there in it. I'm in this with you. That's what it's kind of saying. All right, and the next one, Joshua 1.5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Beautiful. In the context, of course, Moses has passed. Joshua's taken on the leadership of the people. God's commissioned him and sent him and encouraging him. He's trying to encourage him now and say, come on, you can do this. This is a big job, but you can do it. And so he says to him, no one will be able to stand against you. Um, I was with Moses and then I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that great to know? The third one, wasn't that quick? The second one was quick, wasn't it? The third one, the power of God is in me and you. 
So the person of God is in me and you. The presence of God and the power of God is in me and you. Philippians 4.13. Ray, can I pick on you? Has anyone got an amplified Bible? On your phone? On your phone? Would you look it up, Aaron, please? On your phone? Philippians 4.13. Amplified. Thanks. And Sam? Because I can see you're a willing participant there. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, the New Living Translation, if you could find it in the NLT for me. All right, so Philippians 4, 13. What version have you got, Ray? Yep, beautiful. The power of God is in me. Beautiful. All right, nice and simple. Now, Aaron, this is now listen to this. This is beautiful in the Amplified. <clears throat> I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Beautiful. Did you pick that up? So have a read of that later and then you pick it up in the Amplified. Um, there's, uh, the Amplified, I think, um, is sort of an older Amplified and there's a little things that have been touched up or tweaked in it. And um, one of them says, starts off, says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. Is that, uh, is that what you, a little bit different, isn't it? But I've got that in the Amplified written down here. But everything else, I always think about, I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. He infuses inner strength into me. It's beautiful. He's in me. The power of God is in me and you. 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. Sam? NL, New Living Translation. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself is speaking through you. Man, and you know, if we do it with a sense of it's his power, it's his strength. It's not me trying harder, it's his strength, his power. You know what happens is we're quick to give him the glory, aren't we? We're quick to honour him because we're so aware of our dependence upon him in everything that we do. Father, thank you for the authority that you've given to us. Thank you for the person, the presence and the power of Christ that dwells in me and dwells in each one of us, Lord, as we respond to and are obedient to the great commission or the commission that you've given to each one of us. Lord, may we find incredible joy, the joy of taking up our cross daily and following you. Lord, thank you that you loved us enough to call us. You loved us enough to walk with us. You loved us enough to bear the wrath of the Father on our behalf. You loved us enough to give us the promise of the Holy Spirit to fill us and be with us in all that we do. Uh, Lord, may we see incredible fruit as we just have a revelation of this, these truths and build our life upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.